0: you spooky listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Morbid Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Nicole. I'll be taking you through some of the most heinous, shocking, and morbid crimes, including, of course, the paranormal. Listener discretion is advised. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at morbid period curiosity period podcast where you can find photos related to our cases, including crime scene photos on occasion, of course, with the exception of post-mortem photos. Thank you for tuning in, enjoy. Hello again, welcome back, welcome back. Uh, Sorry I took a, you know, a week off. I was sick again with the freaking flu for like the third or fourth time this year, but you girl finally got her flu shot, so hopefully that won't happen anymore, <clears throat> you know? So I've never been so sick in my lifetime until I moved here to North Carolina. Um, Georgia's a whole other animal, but I've never been this sick, so when I get sick, I get really sick. I was in bed for like a whole week. I may be clearing my throat as well, and I'm sorry about that. I know it's super annoying, but I can't pause it or stop it every time I got to clear my throat. But anyway, sorry about that. I'll try to refrain from doing it so often, but can't help it. Now, um, since we're all back in the saddle here, I have a very interesting case that has always piqued my interest um, in the true crime world and is pretty... Famous as far as if you're a true crime lover. And I'm talking about Elizabeth Short, aka The Black Dahlia. Now, yes, this gets covered a shit ton by all crime podcasts, but I have some really interesting information for you guys. This is going to be a good good chunk of time Um, I'm gonna say probably over 40 minutes for an episode could be wrong I'm just I'm guessing but yeah we got a lot to cover so we're gonna get into it you know grab your snacks grab your drinks go to the bathroom do what you gotta do and let's get into it so we're gonna get into her childhood first Um, you know that's the way I like to do things so, our dear victim, Elizabeth Short, she was born to Cleo A. Short and wife Phoebe Mae Sawyer on July 29th, 1924 in Hyde Park section of Boston, Massachusetts. She did have four sisters. Uh, she was like the middle child, so she, I think she was the third out of the, out of you know, four or third out of five, technically. Her friends called her Beth and fun fact, they're actually the ones who dubbed her, or nicknamed her the Black Dahlia, because they had seen the movie The Blue Dahlia a year or so before, and they were like, you know what, Elizabeth? You kind of resemble her, besides you wear black clothes, and you know, the flower in your hair. You look like a Black Dahlia instead of a Blue Dahlia. So, that's just kind of where you know, her nickname came from. Now, of course, you know, police later on dubbed her a same thing from the same exact movie so coincidence Eh. but yeah now in 1927 her family decided to relocate to Portland Maine before settling in muttford it was like a suburb of Boston Um, now her father built miniature golf courses whether that's putt-putt courses now I don't really know but he lost all of his savings in the 1929 stock market crash unfortunately and then a year later in 1930 he just up and disappeared um, they found his car abandoned on the Charleston town bridge and you know police just kind of assumed he jumped off he just killed himself he jumped off into the Charles River that's what everyone thought now with him disappearing you know Elizabeth's mother was like well shit I gotta take care of the family I don't know where my husband was I, you know he's dead What she was thinking. So she got a job being a bookkeeper to support the family. Um, Now, mind you, that's her and five kids. So now, Elizabeth unfortunately had trouble with bronchitis and severe asthma attacks. So she ended up having to have lung surgery at 15. And then doctors, you know, suggested to her and her mom, you should probably relocate to a milder climate. Um, especially during like winter or whatever, to prevent further respiratory problems. So, Elizabeth's mother sent her to spend winters in Miami, Florida with some friends and families. And she stayed there for like three years. Now, she attended Mumford High School. Now, in her sophomore year, she just decided it just wasn't for her. She dropped out of high school. Um and later on in 1942 she decided to relocate to california now get this though in 1942 before she relocated to california elizabeth's mother had received an apology letter from her presumed dead husband um he was alive he just decided to drop his entire life back in Massachusetts and leave his car at the bridge and move to California to start a whole new life without his family <laughs> leaving his family thinking he was dead um, he was fine and well and in December of that year um, at the age of 18 Elizabeth decided to relocate to Vallejo California to live with her father now granted she's not seen this man since she was six years old after he up and disappeared now at the time he was working at the nearby Mare um island naval shipyard on san francisco bay um her and her dad argued you know like any parent child would but that led to her moving out in january of 1943. elizabeth took a job at the base exchange at camp cook which is now the vandenberg air force base near lompoc i hope i say that right um Briefly living with a U.S. Army Air Force sergeant who um, had been reported, like, supposedly abusing her. Um, I say supposedly because we don't really have any more information. Not really sure what happened with that. Um, How he was abusing her, we don't really know. So, after that, after she went through that, she left Lompoc in, I would say, mid-1943. She then moved to Santa Barbara, where she was arrested on September 23rd in 1943 for drinking at a bar while underage. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, we all drank underage, I feel. If you didn't, then what were you doing? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, um, a fact of the case here, uh, another fun fact, um when she was discovered deceased later on, which we're going to get to it, it's going to take a minute, but we'll get to it. Um, This arrest was very important. And honestly, I'm glad she got arrested because if it weren't for her being arrested and her fingerprints being entered into the system, she probably would have remained a Jane Doe. Uh, Her fingerprints in this case was the only thing that was able to, like, confirm her identity later on when she was found deceased. Just saying. So, um, after her arrest, juvenile authorities sent her back to Massachusetts, and then she was like, nah, and went back to Florida. So, she went back to Florida. She, you know, occasionally visited her family near Boston. Now, while in Florida, she met a man which was Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr., he was a decorated Army Air Force officer of the Second Air Commando Group, and he was training for deployment to Southeast Asia, uh, theater of World War II. Now later, Elizabeth told friends that Gordon had proposed to her, um, per like a I guess via letter, um, while he was recovering from injuries from a plane crash in India. You know. They were, they seemed to be in love because, you know, she accepted his proposal and I could assume she was super excited, but unfortunately, Gordon died in a second plane crash, August 10th, 1945, less than a week before the end of the war. So, yeah, unfortunately, she didn't get her happy ending um, and other things transpired. So, July 1946, Elizabeth then relocated to Los Angeles to visit Army Air Force Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Flicking, who was an acquaintance from Florida and was stationed at the Naval Reserve Air Base in Long Beach. Elizabeth spent about like six months of her life in Southern California, mostly Los Angeles area. Um, Shortly before her death, she had been working as a waitress, and she even rented a room behind the Florentine Gardens nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard. Um, She has been, like, variously described and depicted as an aspiring or would-be actress. Um, Of course, if you look her up, that's all that you'll see, almost, is she wanted to be famous, she wanted to be a star, she wanted to be an actress, but she was other things other than that. Now, obviously, you know, she she had no acting jobs or credits. Um, she didn't have any of that. So, prior to her murder, January 9th, 1947, Elizabeth returned to her home in L.A. after a brief trip to San Diego with Robert Red Manley. Uh, he was a 25-year-old married salesman she had been dating. Uh, Manley stated that he dropped Elizabeth off at the Biltmore Hotel in downtown LA, and Les- Elizabeth was to meet her sister, who was like visiting her from Boston that afternoon. Now, by some accounts, staff at the Biltmore recalled having seen Elizabeth use the lobby telephone shortly after she was allegedly seen by some people of the Crown Grill Cocktail Lounge at 754 South Olive Street. Approximately like mm, three eighths of a mile away from the Biltmore um, and that was the last time she was seen alive so now keep in mind January 9th uh, after that we don't really have any like reports or anything um, that I could find saying she was seen besides that I could be wrong but that's just what I found Now, on the morning of January 15th, 1947, Elizabeth's naked body, mind you, severed into two pieces, was found on a vacant lot on the west side of South Norton Avenue. It was midway between the Cozalem Street and West 39th Street in the neighborhood of Leemert Park. Um, At the time, Leemert Park was, like, largely undeveloped um they were kind of like building on the the property now local resident betty berzinger she actually discovered elizabeth approximately around 10 a.m while walking her three-year-old daughter um assuming in a stroller um initially thinking she you know it was a mannequin never a mannequin it's never a mannequin but she thought it was a mannequin i mean you know nobody would think oh there's a person cut in half right on the side of the road in front of some houses she thought it was a mannequin and when she got closer she realized it was a young woman who was deceased she called she well first off she rushed to a nearby house because you know no cell phones um rushed to a house called the police and all hell broke loose Elizabeth's severely mutilated body was completely severed at the waist, drained completely of her blood, leaving her skin like a pallid white, like just, you know, pale. Uh, Medical examiners determined that she had been dead for around at least 10 hours prior to her discovery, leaving her time of death either sometime during the evening of January 14th or the early morning hours of January 15th. Her body had apparently been washed by the killer as well. Her face had been slashed from the corners of her mouth to her ears, creating an effect known as the Glasgow smile. Kind of like the Joker. Um, I'm not trying to be rude, but that's, if you need to imagine it, that is how her face was cut. Literally like the Joker smile. Um, She had several cuts on her thighs and her breast, um, where entire portions of her flesh had just been sliced away. The lower half of her body was positioned a foot away from the upper, and her intestines had been tucked neatly behind her buttocks. Her body had been posed with her hands over her head, her elbows bent at right angles, and her legs spread apart. Now, upon the discovery, a crowd of passersbyers and reporters began to gather. LA Herald Express reporter Angie Underwood was among the first to arrive at the scene and took several photos of her body and the crime scene. Near her body, detectives located a hill print on the ground amid the tire tracks and a cement sack containing watery blood was found nearby. Now we're gonna get into the autopsy and her identification. So, if you've never seen or read the autopsy report, um, we're about to learn some stuff that I even I didn't know. Now, an autopsy of Elizabeth's body was performed January 16, 1947 by Frederick Newbar, which was the LA County Coroner at the time. Newbar's autopsy report stated that Elizabeth was 5'5", 115 pounds, had light blue eyes, brown hair, and badly decayed teeth. There were ligature marks on her ankles, her wrists, her neck, and an irregular laceration with superficial tissue loss on her right breast. Newbar also noted superficial lacerations on the right forearm, left upper arm, and the left side of her chest. Her body had been completely severed in half by a technique taught in the 1930s called a hemocorporectomy, which is a trans lumbar amputation. The lower half of her body had been removed by transecting the lumbar spine between the second and third lumbar vertebrae, thus severing the intestine at the Duodenum. Now, Newbar's report noted very little ecchymosis, which is bruising, along the incision line, suggesting it had been performed after her death. Thankfully, another gaping laceration, measuring about 110 millimeter in length, ran down from the umbilicus to the superpubic region. The lacerations on each side of the face, which extend from the corners of her lips, were measured at least three inches. On the right side of her face, it was about two and a half on the left. Um, So, just to clear that up, because I said that kind of weird, three inches on the right side, two and a half inches on the left side. Um, Her skull was not fractured, but there were bruising... Um, That was noted on the front and right side of her scalp with a small amount of bleeding um, on the subarachnoid space on the right side consistent with blows to the head. Uh, The cause of death was determined to be hemorrhaging from lacerations to her face and the shock from the blows to the head and face new bar noted that her anal canal was also dilated one and inches or 45 millimeters suggesting that she may have been raped samples were taken from her body testing for the presence of sperm but the results came back negative elizabeth was identified only after her fingerprints were sent to the fbi via sound photo a device which transmitted images by telephone and was normally used for news photographs. Elizabeth's fingerprints were on file only from that underage drinking accident in 1943. Immediately following her identification, reporters from William Randolph Hart's LA Examiner contacted her mother, Phoebe Short, in Boston and told her that her daughter had won a beauty contest. How mean is this, first off, okay... Because all they did was just call and try to get information before they said, Oh yeah, by the way, she's uh, found murdered and mutilated in front of some houses on a plot of land. But they told her, Oh, she won a beauty contest. Like, that's so mean. So mean. Anyway, it was only after getting as much personal information as they could from Phoebe that reporters revealed her daughter had been, in fact, murdered. The newspaper offered to pay her airfare and accommodations if she would come to L.A. to help with police investigation. Um, That was yet another ploy since the newspaper kept her away from police and other reporters to protect its scoop. All they cared about was getting the best story. The Examiner and another Hearst newspaper, the L.A. Herald Express, later centralized the case with one article from the Examiner describing describing. Sorry, guys. Describing the black tailored suit Elizabeth was last seen wearing as, quote, a tight skirt and a sheer blouse. Of course, they're going to start blaming it on that. The media nicknamed her Black Dahlia and described her as an adventurous who prowled um, Hollywood Boulevard. Additional news reports such as the one published in L.A. Times on January 17th deemed the murderer a sex fiend slaying. Blaming it on what she's wearing and making her like a, you know, a sexualized object um, annoys me. But they do it to most of us ladies. Um, So, it's the way the cookie crumbles around that time and around now. Let's get into uh, investigation. Period. So on January 21st, 1947, a person claiming to be her killer placed a phone call to the office of James Richardson, who was the editor of The Examiner um, congratulating Richardson on the newspaper's coverage of the case, and he stated he planned on eventually turning himself in, but not before allowing police to pursue him just a little further. Additionally, the caller told Richardson to quote, expect some souvenirs of Beth Short in the mail. End quote. On January 24th, a Envelope was discovered by the U.S. Postal Service worker. Um, The envelope had been addressed to the Los Angeles examiner and other Los Angeles papers with individual words that had been cut out and pasted from newspaper clippings. Additionally, a large message on the face of the envelope read: Quote, here is Dahlia's belongings. Letter to follow, end quote. The envelope contained her birth certificate business cards photographs names written on pieces of paper and an address book with the name mark henson and "Boast" on the cover the packet had been carefully cleaned with gasoline similarly to elizabeth's body which led police to suspect the packet had actually been sent by the killer despite the efforts to clean the packet several partial fingerprints were lifted from the envelope and sent to the FBI for testing. However, unfortunately, the prints were compromised in transit and thus could not be properly analyzed. <sighs> Let's take a moment to sigh on the shoddy police um, police work. Because <laughs> how are you going to compromise very important evidence on a horrific crime, taking it to the FBI. Come on. It could have been solved like so long ago. It wasn't even funny. Um, yeah. Anyway. The same day the packet was received by the examiner, a handbag and a black suede shoe were reported have been seen on top of a garbage can in an alley. Kind of close, um... I would say about two miles from where her body had been discovered the items were recovered by police but they also had been wiped clean with gasoline destroying any fingerprint evidence now just because everything was wiped with gasoline I kind of feel like they were actually parts of very important evidence that were destroyed um, by the killer I kind of feel like all of that was indeed left by the killer you know what I mean um, March the 14th, an apparent suicide note scrawled in pencil on a bit of paper was found tucked in a shoe in a pile of men's clothing by the ocean's edge at the Foot Breeze Avenue, Venice. Um, the note read, quote, to whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself for that or this. Sorry, Mary. End quote. The pile of clothing was seen by a beach caretaker who reported uh, the discovery to John Dillon, who was like the lifeguard captain at the beach. Dillon immediately notified Captain Ellie Christensen of West LA Police Station. Uh, the clothes included a coat, trousers, blue herringbone tweed a brown and white t-shirt white jockey shorts tan socks and a tan moccasin leisure shoe which was about like size eight the clothes gave no clue about the identity of the owner whatsoever so we don't know who the heck that belonged to um not sure if that was a ploy to kind of throw off from searching for the killer um not really sure now police quickly deemed mark hansen which was the owner of the address book found in that packet, a suspect. Um, you know, Mark was a wealthy local nightclub and theater owner. He had um, acquaintance at, you know, acquaintances at Elizabeth, who was like, uh, excuse me, let me rephrase. Had an acquaintance at whose home Elizabeth had stayed with friends? Words, words are hard. Um, and according to some sources, he also confirmed that the purse and the shoe discovered in the alley were, in fact, Elizabeth's. Now, Ann Toth, which was Elizabeth's friend and roommate at the time, told investigators that Elizabeth had recently rejected sexual advances from Mark and suggested maybe that's why he would kill her, however, he was cleared of suspicion in her case altogether. Now, in, in addition to Mark being a suspect and cleared, the LAPD interviewed over 150 men in the ensuing weeks whom they have believed to be potential suspects. Now, Manley, who had been one of the last people to see Elizabeth alive, was also investigated, cleared of suspicion, and passed mul- multiple, multiple polygraph exams. Um, Of course, you know, we don't really trust polygraph exams, but whatever. Uh, Police also interviewed several people found listed in Mark's address book, including Martin Lewis, who had been an acquaintance of Elizabeth. Lewis was able to provide an alibi for the date of her murder. Uh, He was all the way in Portland, Oregon, so he was visiting family, his father-in-law, who was dying of kidney failure. Uh, He was cleared. A total of 750 investigators from the LAPD and other departments worked on her case during its initial stages, including 400 sheriff's deputies and 250 Carolina State Patrol officers. Various locations were searched um, for more evidence, including storm drains throughout L.A., abandoned structures, various sites along the L.A. River. Um, Of course, they didn't find anything. City Councilman Lloyd G. Davis posted a $10,000 reward for information leading police to her killer. Now, that's equivalent to $121,356 in 2021. So, it was a lot of money back then. After the announcement of the reward, of course, you know, that came with false confessions, you know, crappy leads... You know, that kind of thing. People always want to take claim of stuff. Why they do that, don't know. But they did. Um, They were pretty much all dismissed. Now, I'm going to kind of get more into um, facts about her autopsy. I know we've kind of already went over that. But I kind of want to add more. Um, Now, this is by Frank Wood. Um, This is just facts found about autopsy in her body at the time so this is like facts myths and um that kind of thing kind of breaking that down so there were a lot of um false allegations about elizabeth short at the time uh we'll kind of cover that but people like to make her out to be promiscuous so that's why we're going over the facts and the myths of her autopsy So, facts were uh, different instruments were used to inflict facial wounds and bisect her body. Ligature marks on wrists, ankles, and neck. Her body was drained of blood and thoroughly washed. Uh, There was an indication of a Barthelonian cyst. There was trauma to the body. Uh, Bisection, which was her being dissected in half. Cuts extending her mouth, blows to her head and face, cuts to her breast, pubic region, left thigh, flesh inserted into her anus and her vagina, fecal matter, and stomach. Now, the myths were that she was infertile, um, assertive but not certain, of course. Uh, Cigarette burns on her body, crude hysterectomy, toxic screen attempts, or excuse me, tox screen attempts initials carved into her pubis, foreign hair follicles found on body, fecal matter may have been fertilizer. All of that is a myth. So, just so you guys know. Um, We've already kind of went over her cause of death. So, yeah. Anyway, now let's get into the media response. On January 26th, There was another letter that was received by the examiner. This time, surprisingly, it was handwritten. Now, this read, quote, Here it is, turning in Wednesday, January 29th, 10 a.m. Had my fun at police, Black Dahlia Avenger, end quote. The letter was also, um, excuse me, the letter also named, like, the location that he was going to turn himself in. So, police, of course, went there. They waited and waited and waited. He never came. Uh, He just backed out, I guess. Now, instead, at 1 p.m. the same day, they received another letter. This one was cut and pasted, you know, the letters from uh, newspaper articles, whatever. Um, This one read, quote, Have changed my mind. You would not give me a square deal. Dahlia killing was justified, end quote. The graphic nature of the crime and the letters received by the examiner had resulted in a huge media frenzy. Um, Both local and national publications covered the story heavily, and many of them reprinted shocking reports suggesting that she had been tortured for hours prior to her death. The information, however, of course, was false, Uh, yet police allowed the reports to circulate so it could conceal the true cause of death, which was the several hemorrhaging um, from the public. They were just going to let it go, let them think what they wanted to think. And you know, try to, I guess, lure the murderer out or the killer out. Um further reports about Elizabeth's personal life were publicized, um including details about her alleged declining of uh, Mark Henson's romantic advances. Additionally, a exotic dancer, who was an acquaintance of Elizabeth's, told police that she, quote, liked to get guys worked up over her, but she'd leave them hanging dry, end quote. This led some reporters, namely the Herald Express's Bebo means, and detectives to look into the possibility that maybe Elizabeth was a lesbian, and begin questioning employees and patrons of gay bars in LA This claim, however, remained unconfirmed, of course. Um, The Herald Express also received several letters from the killer, um, again made with the cut and pasted clippings of newspapers, etc., one of which read, quote, I will give up on Dahlia killing if I get 10 years. Don't try to find me, end quote. On February 1st, the LA Daily News reported that the case had run into a stone wall with no new leads for investigators to pursue. The examiner continued to run stories on the murder and the investigation, which was front page news for 35 days following the discovery of her body. When interviewed, lead investigator Captain Jack Donahue told the press that he believed Elizabeth's murder had taken place in a remote building or maybe a shack on the outskirts of LA and her body was transported into the city and then disposed of. Based on the precise cuts and dissection of her body, the LAPD looked into the possibility that the murderer had been a surgeon or doctor or someone with extensive medical knowledge. In mid-February 1947, the LAPD served a warrant to the University of Southern California Medical School, which was located near the site where her body was discovered requesting a complete list of the program's students the university agreed so long as students identities remain private background checks were conducted but again no results came about that so they didn't really find anyone that i guess fit the bill so they tried they investigated but again no avail Now, by the spring of 1947, Elizabeth's murder had become a cold case, unfortunately, with very few new leads popping up. Sergeant Finnis Brown, one of the lead detectives on the case at the time, blamed the press for compromising the investigation through reporters' probing of details and unverified reporting. Now, in 19... Er, excuse me... September 1949, a grand jury conveyed, um to discuss inadequacies in the LAPD's homicide unit based on their failure to solve numerous murders, especially those of women and children, in the past several years, Elizabeth being one of them. In the aftermath of the grand jury, further investigation was done on Elizabeth's past with detectives tracing her movements between Massachusetts, California, Florida, also interviewed people who knew her in Texas and New Orleans, However, the interviews did not provide any new useful information about the possibility of who her murderer was. Now let's get into suspects and confessions here. Um, The notoriety of Elizabeth's murder had spurred a large number of confessions over the years. Many of them have been deemed false during the initial investigation into her murder police received a total of get this 60 confessions mostly made by men um since that time over 500 people confessed to killing her some of whom had not even been born at that time of her death like what irritates me okay we're gonna go on a little rant what irritates me is you have this beautiful young woman who's just out here living her life who's horribly, horribly mutilated and dumped naked, mind you, in a freaking neighborhood pretty much and you're gonna sit there and claim that you've done this horrible crime. Like what does that say about you and your mental state? You need some kind of freaking mental help. If you're gonna sit there and say yeah I totally cut her up i mutilated her body and i left it in a neighborhood like you're you're not okay you're not okay you need some kind of mental mental evaluation done on you because if you think or claim that you have done that who's to say that you're not going to anyway sergeant john p um of the saint john uh, like a detective who worked the case up until his retirement like he worked the entire time pretty much uh said quote it is amazing how many people offer up a relative as the killer end quote in 2003 ralph asdell uh one of the original detectives on the case told the times that he believed he had interviewed elizabeth killer a man who was seen uh excuse me With his sedan parked near the vacant lot where her body was discovered in the early morning hours of January 15, 1947. A neighbor driving by that day stopped to dispose of a bag of lawn clippings in the vacant lot when he saw a parked sedan. Allegedly, with its right rear door open, the driver of the sedan was standing in the lot. His arrival apparently startled the owner of the sedan, who approached his car and peered into the window before returning to his car and driving away. The owner of the sedan was followed to a local restaurant where he worked, but was ultimately cleared of suspicion. Weird, yeah, but killer, eh, you know. Suspects remaining under discussion by various authors and experts include a doctor named Walter Bailey... Uh, proposed by the former Times copy editor Larry Harnshin. I think that's how you say his name. I'm not sure. Times publisher Norman Chandler, whom biographer Donald Wolf claims impregnated Elizabeth. She. they didn't find that she was pregnant, just saying. Uh, Leslie Dillon, Joseph A. Dumas, R.T. Lane, a.k.a. Jeff Connors, Mark Hansen, Dr. Francis E. Swinney, Woodney Guthrie, Bugsy Siegel. There's a lot of interesting names, just saying. Uh, Orson Welles, George Haddell. Hodell, excuse me. George Hodell. We'll get into him because everybody believes he's the actual true killer. We'll get into it. Hodell's friend, Fred Sexton, George Knowlton, Robert M. Red Manley, who was the last one to see her alive, Patrick S. O'Reilly, and Jack Anderson Wilson. That was the primary suspects. All of that was. Now, George Hill uh, Hodel Jr. was a suspect, of course, you know, like the others. He was never formally charged with the crime. Now, he came to wider attention as a suspect after his death when he was accused by his son, which was LA homicide detective Steve Hodel. Yes. Uh, His son was a homicide detective and claims that he is a hundred percent sure his dad killed Elizabeth We'll get into it Uh, Prior to the Dahlia case, he was also a suspect in the death of his secretary who was Ruth Spaulding, But was never charged and was accused of raping his own daughter Tamar uh, or Tamar uh, but acquitted He fled the country several times and spent 1950 to 1990 in the Philippines. George O'Dell was one of the most notorious suspects of the entire case. He was a physician who ran a venereal disease clinic in LA in the 1940s era. According to The Guardian, George was on a list of six primary suspects in the Dahlia case. And the LAPD even bugged his home during the investigation. Um, just saying there was a lot of stuff that pointed to him, uh, on those recordings that he actually did kill Elizabeth and his secretary. Just saying. Um, but George, he died in 1999. Um, he gained even more, uh, like, suspicion, pretty much. Like I said, his son, um wrote a book saying excuse me I can't think right now guys I'm sorry his son who was the homicide detective uh, who's retired now um, in 2003 wrote a best selling book called Black Dahlia Avenger The True Story now he claims his father's handwriting matches strange letters the police received um, on the Dr. Phil episode um, let me get to it season 17 episode 126 Um, It actually was confirmed by his son. Now, granted, keep in mind, he was a detective. Uh, He confirmed the handwriting was the exact same. He even had um, it analyzed by a specialist who also confirmed that George O'Dell's handwriting matches the killer of the Black Dahlia. Just saying. Coincidence, I think Um, so yeah, so he also uncovered photos of women who resembled Elizabeth in his father's personal photo album and believes um, George's medical background would explain the precise clinical cuts on her body. But some have, excuse me, but some have discounted his claims since he started linking his father to other infamous unsolved murders, including the Zodiac killings. So, is it 100%? We'll never know because the murderer by now is probably already deceased. Now, these are theories and potentially related crimes. So, we're going to get into that. So, several crime authors as well as Cleveland detective Peter Morello, I think that's how you say his last name, don't come for me, have suspected a link between the Dahlia murder and Cleveland torso murders uh, which took place in Cleveland Ohio between 1934 1938 now as a part of their investigation into the murders that took place before and after Elizabeth's killing the original LAPD investigators studied the torso murders in 1947 but later discounted any relationship between the two cases it was just a theory in 1980 though New evidence implicating a former torso murder suspect, Jack Anderson Wilson, aka Arnold Smith, was investigated by Detective Saint John in related or excuse me, in relation to Elizabeth's murder. He claimed he was close to arresting Jack for Elizabeth's murder, but Jack died in a fire on february fourth, nineteen eighty two. The possible connection between Elizabeth's murder and the torso murders received renewed media attention when it was profiled on the NBC series Unsolved Mysteries in excuse me, 1992, in which Elliot Ness, uh, the biographer uh, Oscar Fraley, suggested Ness knew the identity of the killer responsible for both cases. So, they're claiming this person knew the murderer for both. Uh, February 10, 1947, the murderer of excuse me the murder of Janine French in LA was also considered by the media and detectives, which could have been possibly connected to Elizabeth. Janine's body was discovered in West LA on Grandview Boulevard. She was also nude and badly beaten, um, although she was not mutilated. Um, not that I know of. uh, but written on her stomach, in lipstick, uh, it said, quote, fuck you, B.D. So, Brad David. I mean, that's not what it means, but B.D. Um, and the letters TEX, like T-E-X, below that. Um, the Herald Express covered the story heavily again. Of course, they always making up shit. And drew comparison to the... Sh- to Elizabeth's murder less than a month prior they were like oh BD that stands for Black Dahlia that has to be it period that's it but um little did they know it was P as in Paul and D as in David not B as in Brad and D as in David so it was PD so in other words police department right fuck you police department that's what they thought So, crime authors such as Steve Hodel, which is the son of George Hill Hodel, which was the primary suspect, and William Russmanson, have suggested a link between Elizabeth's murder and the 1946 murder and dismemberment of a six-year-old who is Susan, um, excuse me, Suzanne Degnan? So sorry if I said that name wrong. D-E-G-N-A-N. Sometimes I get tongue-tied. Um, that was in Chicago, Illinois. Um, Captain Donahue of LAPD stated publicly that he believed the Black Dahlia and the Chicago lipstick murders were likely connected, supposedly. Now, among the evidence cited in the fact that Elizabeth's body was found on Norton Avenue, which was three blocks west of the um Degan Boulevard, um, Deegan being the last name of the girl in Chicago. There were also striking similarities between the handwriting on the Diggin' Ransom note that um, was similar to the Black Dahlia Avenger note. Both texts used a combination of capitals and small letters. Um, The Diggin' note read, in part, quote, Burn this for her safety. So, it was capital B, undercase U, capital R-N, capital T, undercase H-I-S. Capital F, undercase O, capital R, undercase H-E, capital R, capital S-A, undercase F, capital T-Y. I know that was a lot to listen to, but that's just how it's written. I wanted to make sure that you knew. Now, um, both notes contain a similar misshapen P, letter P is in Paul, as well. So, that was just kind of one of the similarities between the two Now, convicted serial killer William Herons served life in prison for um, the six-year-old's murder, initially arrested at 17 for breaking into a residence close to um, Diggin. Now, Herons claimed he was tortured by police. He was forced to confess and pretty much just made a scapegoat for the murder because they needed somebody to blame. Now, you know, that happens. Uh, whether that happened in this case, not really sure. But after being taken from the medical infirmary at the Dixon Correctional Center on February 26, 2012, for health problems, he died um, at the University of Illinois Medical Center, March 5, 2012, at 83. So, whether he did stuff, you know, don't know. Additionally, Steve Hodell has implicated his father. Father George Hodell, as Elizabeth's killer, like a hundred percent, right? Citing um, his father was a trained surgeon. Just saying. <laughs> in 2003, it was revealed in the notes from 1949 grand jury report that investigators had wiretapped Stevens' home and obtained recording, excuse me, recorded conversations of him. With an unidentified visitor saying quote and this is from his mouth people just saying this is from his own mouth on recording as evidence this is what he said quote supposing I did kill the blocked Dahlia they couldn't prove it now they can't talk to my secretary because she's dead they thought there was something fishy anyway now they have may have figured it out killed her maybe I did kill my secretary Now, in 1991, Janice Knowlton, a woman who was like 10 years old um, at the time of Elizabeth's murder, claimed that she witnessed her father, George Knowlton, beat Elizabeth to death with a claw hammer in the detached garage of her family's home in Westminster. Now, she also made a book called, quote, this is kind of cringe, Daddy was the Black Black Dahlia Killer, end quote. Uh, that was the title in 1995 in which she made additional claims that her father sexually molested her now we're not gonna get into her being molested we don't have the whole story we don't know anything about it but um, the book was condemned as trash by her own stepsister uh, Jolene Emerson in 2004 And she stated, quote, She believed it, but it wasn't reality. I know because I lived with her father for 16 years, end quote. Additionally, Detective St. John told the Times that Nolan's um, claims were not consistent with the facts of the case. Like, there's no evidence that Elizabeth was beaten with a claw hammer. And if she was, I'm pretty sure her skull would have been fractured or, you know, like... Not to be graphic, but her face would have probably been caved in at some point. None of that was consistent with what was found with her autopsy. Um, John Gilmore's 1994 book Severed, the true story of the Black Dahlia murder, suggests a possible connection between Elizabeth's murder and that of Georgette Birdoff, a socialite who was strangled to death in her West Hollywood home in 1944. Gilmore suggests that Elizabeth's employment at the Hollywood Canteen, where Georgia also worked as a hostess, could be a potential connection between the two women. However, the claim that Elizabeth ever worked at the Hollywood Canteen has been disputed by others, such as the retired Times copy editor Larry Harnsinch. can never say his last name. Um... The 2017 book Blocked Dahlia Red Rose by Pugh Etwell focuses on Leslie Dillon, a bellhop who was a former mortician's assistant, his associates Mark Henson and Jeff Connors, and Sergeant Finnis Brown, a lead detective who had links to Mark um, and was allegedly corrupt. Eatwell, you know, poses that Elizabeth was murdered because she knew too much about the men's involvement in a scheme for robbing hotels. She further suggests um, that Elizabeth was killed at the Astor Motel in LA, where the owner reported finding one of their rooms covered in blood and fecal matter on the morning Elizabeth's body was found. The examiner stated in 1949 that LA police chief William A. Wharton denied the Flower Street Astor Motel had anything to do with the case although its rival newspaper um, the LA Herald claimed that the murder took place there. Um, Eatwell is working on a TV documentary and a revised edition of her book due to uh, be released in the autumn of 2018. In 2000, Buzz Williams a retired detective with the Long Beach Police Department wrote an article for the LBPD newsletter the rap sheet on Elizabeth's Elizabeth's murder Williams father Richard F Williams and a friend Con Keller were both members of the LA gangster squad investigation um, who was investigating the case now Williams senior believed that Dylan was the killer and that when Dylan returned to his home state of Oklahoma, he was able to avoid extradition to California because his ex wife Georgia Stevenson was second cousins with Governor Dolly Stevenson II of Illinois, who contacted the governor of Oklahoma on Dylan's behalf. Yeah. So Khan believed Mark was the killer. And he studied at a surgical school in Sweden he had thrown elaborate parties attended by prominent LAPD officials so he had connections so of course he would get out of stuff is what he's trying to say uh, Williams article says that Dylan sued the LAPD for three million but that suit was dropped um, Harnsen disputes this claiming that Dylan was cleared by police after an exhaustive investigation and that the DA files positively placed him in San Francisco when Elizabeth was killed. So they were pretty much just like, eh, that's not, that's not correct. So Harnsich claims uh there was no LAPD cover-up and that Dylan did in fact receive a financial settlement from the city of LA, but has not produced concrete evidence to prove that claim. So there was a lot of he said, she said, he did it whatever points you know the finger at everybody during the time after her excuse me after her death people just wanted someone you know to be blamed for i guess kind of like any big murder story that happens you know police department are completely under pressure i'm trying to use my words here guys i'm sorry i've been recording for like three hours um police departments are always under pressure by the families, by the community, to just find somebody, to find the killer. They have to find that person. And a lot of times people can't just accept the fact that sometimes these people just vanish. You know? Like Jack the Ripper, for instance. That was, that was a horrendous crime back in the day. People wanted to know who the hell was killing these, you know, um, prostitutes. They wanted to know. And they never were able to find somebody, and they just had to accept that. Anyway, moving on, we're going to go to, like, rumors and factual disputes, kind of get into that, and then we'll be almost done with the episode. So, if you guys need snacks or a potty break or whatever, feel free to take me uh, anywhere and listen. I don't really care, but if you need a break, we'll take a break right now. So, numerous details regarding Elizabeth's personal life and death have been points of public dispute since, you know, the 40s. Um, Eager involvement of both the public and the press in solving her murder have been created as factors that complicated the investigation significantly, resulting in a complex, sometimes inconsistent narrative of the events that actually happened. According to Anne Marie De Stefano, di Stefano, I hope I said that right, of the Portland Tribune, many unsubstantiated stories have circulated about Elizabeth over the years. "Quote: She was a prostitute. She was frigid. She was pregnant. She was a lesbian. And somehow, instead of fading away over time, the legend of the Black Dahlia just keeps getting more convoluted." End quote. That's what she said. Uh, Harsonage has refuted several supposed rumors and popular conceptions um, about Elizabeth and her murder, and also disputed the validity of Gilmore's book *Severed*, claiming the book is 25% mistakes, 50% fiction. Harsonage also examined the DA files. He claimed that Steve O'Dell has examined some of them pertaining to his father along with Times uh, columnist Steve Lopez. Um, and contrary to Eatwell's claims, the files showed that Dylan was thoroughly investigated and cleared and was determined to have been in San Francisco when Elizabeth was killed. Harsonish speculated that Eatwell either did not find these files or she chose to completely ignore them. Um, yeah. So that's pretty much all I got for investigation, for theories, for, you know, he said she said kind of stuff. Um, we kinda went over about how she got her nickname Block Black Dahlia. I keep saying that weird, I'm sorry. Black Dahlia. Um it came from the movie, um, the Blue Dahlia starring Veronica Lake and Alan Ladd. It was like a 1946 film. Um, according to newspaper reports, shortly after the murder, she received that nickname from staff and patrons at the Long Beach Drugstore in mid-1946. Kind of like a wordplay on the film Blue Dahlia. Um, other popular, you know, Rumors claim that the media crafted the name because Elizabeth adorned her hair with dahlias Um according to the FBI official website she received the first part of the nickname from the press For her rumored penchant for sheer black clothes Um, However, you know reports by da investigators state that the nickname was invented by newspaper reporters covering her murder which was the herald express reporter bevo means who interviewed Elizabeth's acquaintances at the drugstore and had been accredited uh, with first using the Block Dahlia name, though reporters Underwood and Jack Smith have been alternately named as its creditors. Now, while some sources claim that Elizabeth was referred to or went by that name during her life, others dispute that claim. Both Gilmore and Harsinich agree that the name originated during Elizabeth's lifetime it was not a creation of the press Harsonish states that it was in fact the nickname she earned from the staff of the long beach drugstore she frequented and severed gilmore names a um a l landers or al landers as their proprietor for the drugstore uh, though he does not provide the store's name now prior to the circulation of black dahlia name Elizabeth's murder had been dubbed the werewolf murder by the Herald Express because of the brutal nature of the crime. Now, of course, you know, they also say that her friends, like I said earlier in the podcast episode, they say that her friends gave her that name because they watched the movie and they thought they were similar. You know, who knows? Nobody knows where the name come from. It just, it just came. So, um... One of the things that a lot of people like to um, accuse Elizabeth of is alleged prostitution and her sexual history. So we're going to kind of get more into that side real quick because um, if you remember in Gilmore's Severed book, they claimed that she worked at the Hollywood canteen um which like i said earlier it was disputed by Harsonish, who stated that elizabeth did not in fact live in la um until after the canteen's closing in 1945. now although some of her acquaintances and several authors journalists you know etc described elizabeth as a prostitute or call girl during her time in la according to Harsonish, those claims um and the grand jury proved that there were no existing evidence that she was ever, ever, ever a prostitute. So, just want to throw that out there. Um, that a lot of people were claiming that she was. She is not. Also, another widely circulated rumor, sometimes used to claims that Elizabeth was a prostitute, holds that Elizabeth was unable to have sexual intercourse... Because of a congenital defect that resulted in um, what, what is known as infantile genitalia, I think is how you say it. Um, L.A. County D.A. states that the investigators had questioned three men whom Elizabeth had engaged in sex, including a Chicago police officer who was a suspect in the case. FBI files on the case also contain a statement from one of her alleged lovers. Elizabeth, her autopsy itself, uh, which was reprinted in full in Michael Newton's 2009 book, The Encyclopedia of Unsolved Crimes, notes that her uterus was small, however, no other information in the autopsy is provided that would suggest that her reproductive organs for anything other than anatomically normal. So, also, the pregnant claim was never proven. Um, fo- you know, following her death and her life, that was all disputed. So. Also, to address the lesbian rumor, um, you know, that also circulated um, This rumor kind of began after Bevo Means of the Herald Express was told by the deputy coroner that Elizabeth wasn't having sex with men owing to her alleged, um, excuse me, due to her small uterus. Um, and they just kind of took it and ran with it. They were just like, oh, she's gay, cool. You know, that kind of thing. Took it and ran with it, and that was never confirmed either. Just throwing that out there. Um if she was fine and dandy, we support it whatever. But at the time, people were using that to slander her, you know, cuz it, you know, wasn't really a thing back then. It was, but it was hidden. You know what I mean? Um so yes, they were using all that to slander her, none of that was proven true. So Alright, guys let's take a little break uh go to the bathroom get some snacks and a drink do whatever you got to do uh come back and we're gonna finish the episode so finally um her resting place is located in oakland california Um, it is at Mountain View Cemetery in Oakland that's the name of the the cemetery Um, her younger sisters had grown up married the mother Phoebe moved to Oakland to be near her daughter's grave she finally returned to East Coast in the 1970s where she lived into her 90s her mother Phoebe of course um, February 2nd, 1947, just two weeks after Elizabeth's murder, Republican State Assemblyman C. Don Field was promoted by the case to introduce a bill calling for the formation of a sex offender registry. The state of California would become the first U.S. state to make the registration of sex offenders mandatory. Elizabeth's murder has been described as one of the most brutal and culturally enduring crimes in American history. The Time magazine listed it as one of the most infamous unsolved cold cases in the entire world. Elizabeth's life and death may have been the basis of numerous books, TV shows, movies, both fictionalized and nonfiction. Among the most famous fictional accounts of Elizabeth's death is James Elroy's 1987 the novel the block dahlia which in addition to the murder explored the larger fields of politics crime corruption and paranoia and post-war la according to cultural critic david m fine elroy's novel was adapted into a 2006 film of the same name by director brian d palma elizabeth was played by actress mia Kirshner. Both El Ruley novel and its film adaption bear little relation to the facts of the case, though. Elizabeth was also portrayed in heavily fictionalized accounts by Lucy Arnaz in 1975 TV film Who is the Black Dahlia? By Jessica Nelson in 4, um, episode 13 of Hunter, and by Mina Servari in the series American Horror Story in 2011, I love that show. Love that show. Um, Also featuring Elizabeth in the plot line of the episode Spooky Little Girl. And again in 2018 with Return to Murder House. Um, Yeah, so there was a lot. A lot of films. A lot of books. A lot of movies. Just everything, of course. You know. Um, Also, right before I started to record today, I... Just wanted to see if I could find any additional information about Steve O'Dell which was um, the son of George O'Dell um, the prime suspect in my mind um, which he was a prime suspect but I I feel like all of the evidence that he collected I feel like George O'Dell actually did kill her but that's just a you know a theory um, this is just some of the some of the points that I pulled from um, season seventeen, episode one twenty six from Doctor Phil. Okay, I got. I, I like Doctor Phil. A lot of people hate on him, but whatever. Um, this is just some of the points that jo- uh, Excuse me, that Steve said to Doctor Phil during the episode. So, um, nineteen forty nine. Uh, their mother had sent them to military academy, and that's when his sister. Tamar had told the mother the dad had molested and raped her. That's when the father was arrested and charged with incest and child molestation. Of course, he was acquitted, like we said earlier. Um, Steve and some experts, because, you know, Steve O'Dell is a, or was a, because he's retired. He was a LAPD detective, um, homicide detective. Like, he knew his shit, okay? He has connect... Excuse me. He has connections and can get shit figured out, you know, by his best abilities. Um, The handwritten notes that were sent by the killer um, that were, you know, cleaned in gasoline um, were confirmed and identified from Steve O'Dell saying, yes, that is my father's handwriting and by... And now like handwriting analysis experts they were confirmed they were the same thing okay a witness um, Steve was talking about a witness on the episode there was a witness who saw a 1936 dark sedan um, in the area around her murder supposedly um, I couldn't find that per my research but that that's through his own personal investigation Um, he said, Coincidence, my dad drove a 1936, uh, 1936 black Packard sedan at the time. Coincidence, think not. Also, another thing, his dad was a surgeon. Was a surgeon, had the black Packard sedan, handwriting was confirmed, he already molested And raped his daughter supposedly I say supposedly because he was acquitted I don't know if that's because evidence just wasn't there not really sure but that's why I'm saying that so don't get mad um another point was um, in his investigation he had went back to the location of the crime Uh, so he went back to the town started the investigation out of all the evidence and circumstantial evidence that he found he went to like an active head in the da's office and said hey i think my dad is the killer of elizabeth short here's all the evidence that i found if we were to have ever gone to trial how would that have went the da said he would have been found guilty and i would have won that trial with what you have brought me period (laughs) <laughs> like period um, he also got permission to look into some of the locked files of George Hodel um, he found out he was a prime suspect all along cops bugged the house he even heard his own father say that they would never be able to prove that he killed Elizabeth and or he referred to her as the Black Dahlia, and that um, can't ask the secretary because she's dead too bad. You you ain't got no evidence. You ain't got nobody to ask. So, that's another thing. Um, Cops also suspected that there were bodies buried at George's house in the early 50s. Um, Steve had the chance to meet with a cadaver dog named Buster. He was so cute. You should look him up. And his handler, in 2012 and 2013, back to back, and searched the Franklin House, which is what it's called where his dad lived. The dog alerted them to four different spots in the house, including the basement. They took soil samples, all four areas, and it came back positive for human remains. Now, mind you, they also think George O'Dell was a serial killer, and not only did he kill Elizabeth, but he killed his secretary and many others. This was never proven. But circumstantial evidence says that's more than likely correct. Um, November 2018, Steve and Dr. Voss went back to the house. They had now had, um, it's called the Inquisitor. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen this machine or not, but it's kind of like a radar, kind of like how a metal detector, if you scan the floor or, you know, whatever. It can detect metal so far down into the into the ground this one scans for human bones or bodies and um, it kind of works the same way just look it up it's pretty cool Um, people use it quite often sometimes Um, anyway it registered human bone in all four of those spots or excuse me not all four let me let me um, digress there um, it detected human bone in the basement and the outside corner of the home, so it was positive for human remains and bones in the ground, okay, mind you. Um, the home owners of the house now that own the house refuse, refuse to work with police because in order for them to go and dig up, of course, their home, they have to have uh, their cooperation for one and a warrant for two. And whether they can get that warrant, ugh, it's a 50-50. I mean, depends on how much evidence they got, right? Um, yeah, so the homeowners are like, ah, you're not digging up our house. Sorry about that. No, they refuse to work with them. But there there are human remains and bones at that house where his dad did live. Um, moving on. Steve also believe, um, Elizabeth could have been a model for artist Man Ray in 1943. And she was confirmed to have posed for other art pieces in 1944. And that connection right there may have been how George Hodel met Elizabeth through Man Ray. Cause that was also his friend. Um, And on the Dr. Phil episode, if you watch it, you can go find it on YouTube. There are lacerations to her right hip that resembles a art piece that Man Ray did in 1943 that Steve believes that Elizabeth modeled for that piece. Um, Yeah, because he dug into that. He investigated those connections and it's a very big possibility. Um, also, on the episode, there, the granddaughters um, were on there as well. Um, their mother was Anna hotel. and they searched her storage facility after she had passed away and found some recordings that shared her mother's story. Uh, they believe, after hearing that evidence, In recordings that he is a serial killer and not just the killer of Elizabeth Short. Going back to human remains and bones being found at his house that they can't dig up because of the current homeowners. So, uh, he didn't kill her. Nobody did, in my opinion. And I'm about to get to one of the biggest pieces that they found. Steve said there is a recording of an alleged murder that happened in his dad's house in 1950, but police never took action and the files were locked. They just kind of were like, eh, we can't really deal with this right now or something. I don't really know what happened to that, but he listened to that recording and this is what he broke down the timeline for us on the Dr. Phil episode and this is what he heard. And I posted, I'm going to post Instagram photos here in a little bit. Um, At 4.20 p.m. Now, uh, just a reminder, they did have his house bugged. So, this was official police recordings. Just saying. Um, I don't know what day. I can't tell you a date. But, this is how it was described on the Dr. Phil show. At 4.20 p.m., you can hear a woman asking for an operator several times and she sounded like she was crying. 425. The woman asked for the operator again and said something that we couldn't really hear. Cause it's not clear on the tape to the operator. Uh, hours later, 8 20 PM. It sounded as though two men came down the basement steps, entered the basement and began digging. Uh, Now, just a reminder, human remains were positive for the basement, and bone fragments were positive for the basement. And the dog alerted to a spot in the basement. Coincidence? I think not. Uh, Something was referred to, quote, not a trace, end quote. So the men were digging, and they said, not a trace. And it appeared as though a pipe... Was being hit. Five minutes later at 8.25. A woman screamed. Like a blood curdling scream. 8.27. She screamed again. And then nothing. Now. Is this the human remains. The machine picked up. The soil test came back positive for. And that our little cool little dog. Buster alerted to. We'll never know unless we can get into the house to um, excavate the remains. We don't know. Um, I don't really think it's a coincidence. I believe just in my um, hearing the evidence of his own son who is a 24 plus year veteran of being a homicide detective uh and police officer and whatever else he had done in the police department him collecting evidence on his own father him calling his own father a monster and a murderer and a potential serial killer I feel like Steve Hodell sold um me personally that George Hodel did in fact kill Elizabeth Short and probably many other women um, will that ever be confirmed probably not to a hundred percent but just based on your own listening to this podcast and if you go and watch all of the documented evidence of Steve Odell's investigation the Dr. Phil show and whatever else he appeared on you can make your own um, you know conclusion and my conclusion is that he is guilty and that is all I have for our Elizabeth Block Dahlia uh, episode today I hope you guys uh, enjoyed the episode sorry it was delayed I had the flu again <laughs> hopefully that will not happen again And we will, in fact, have another episode on next Monday. And then we'll go back to our routine of every other week. Um, But yes. Go check out Instagram. I am going to be posting photos related to um, our Black Dahlia case. Um, There are going to be some... I know I always say that we're never going to post photos of the deceased victims but I think it's important to see at least where she was found Um, so I have censored the photos Um, you literally can't see anything besides her hands and her feet if you want to look at the full crime scene you're welcome to go to Google but I will not be posting any photos like that of our victim without them being heavily censored just so you can get an idea of like how close this was to like houses and stuff because you know they say it was a, a lot but it was literally directly across the street from houses anyway so there's a lot of Instagram photos also we have the Facebook group feel free to join the Facebook group I do updates there I post stuff there it's just a good thing to you know become a part of our community. We have like 1.2 thousand followers on uh, Facebook now, excuse me. And as far as Instagram goes, I think we have reached uh, 148 followers. So yeah, join us on both and I will see you next Monday. Well guys, that's all for today's episode make sure you tune in bi-weekly we are every other monday for another riveting case where i will traumatize you more than you probably already are (laughs) so thank you for listening uh don't forget to check out the instagram at morbid period curiosity period tc podcast for photos related to each case that i cover Feel free to send me spooky, crazy stories or case suggestions at morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate the podcast on Spotify and Apple Pod or whatever you're listening to us on. Um, I do appreciate all you spooky listeners. Please stay kind, stay spooky, and for the love of God, don't murder anyone. Hey guys, thanks for tuning back in. I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I myself uh, have been in a food coma for the last couple of days. So I hope you all had great family time, good food, good laughs, and you're ready to hop back into some episodes. So today we are going to cover Terracita Bassa. Um, And it's a very interesting case to me because it's not only... You know, a little spooky, paranormal, but it's a true crime case. And, you know, most of the time you don't get a mixture of two and one. So, we get a two for one today. So, I hope you guys enjoy. Instagram posts are already up and going. If you have not joined Instagram, please join. We have about 148 followers on Instagram. uh, 1.2K on Facebook. And I'm just trying to expand. So, please share, please like, please comment, rate. Um, the podcast and let's get into it guys.